Welcome to The Coffee Chat, a podcast where I interview guests about topics ranging from wellness and nutrition to starting a business and growing a personal brand. Each episode is 30 minutes or less, perfect for getting inspired while drinking your morning cup of coffee. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get started. Today, I'm talking to Nora Zipta, a functional and integrative dietitian and nutritionist. Nor specializes in nutrition therapy and coaching for digestive conditions, thyroid and hormone imbalances, autoimmune diseases, and more. Nor's education was in traditional nutrition as a clinical dietitian, but she soon realized that her patients were too sick by the time they reached her in the hospital, so she started her own practice in 2012 to really help people at the source and help them before things got so bad that they were hospitalized. Since then, she's helped hundreds of patients. Her practice focuses a lot on gut issues and food sensitivities. And today we talk about how food impacts every aspect of our daily lives. And I'm really excited to dig in, nor is a wealth of knowledge. If you are someone who is trying to live a healthier life, interested in how the gut impacts your immune system, or think you might have food sensitivities of your own, this episode is for you. With that, please welcome Noor Zipta. Can you tell the audience a little bit about your integrative and functional nutrition clinic and how you got started? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me uh, on the podcast today. So I started as, uh, you know, doing traditional nutrition uh, dietetics training um, in college, and I got my um, internship, uh, became a registered dietitian, and then got my master's, and then I started my uh, practice. And I've always wanted to help people on the preventive side before they got into the hospital, before their conditions got really um, more serious and more critical. I love talking. I love speaking. I love um, educating. Um, And so that's how I got started. Now, when I started, I was seeing a lot of um, different um, conditions, people who needed help with a lot of health uh, and nutrition related issues. Um, But for some reason, I kept seeing a lot of um, irritable bowel uh, syndrome patients, IBS, or just people with a lot of bloating, fatigue, um, stomach issues, and um, sometimes even like hair loss, skin issues. And for me, it felt like my um, the, the protocols or the things that I've learned were kind of missing, and there wasn't much on IBS other than general diets or general eliminations or a recommendation to find the triggers, but there was no, not much beyond that. And so part of my own, um, you know, just curiosity. I also had um, a lot of stress going through my master's degree. I had my second child, so I was going through some uh, difficulties with headaches, brain fog, some bloating as well too, fatigue. And so like a lot of times it was my own journey looking for solutions for me, and I found a lot of similarities between my patients. And so that got me into the functional and integrative nutrition route. Um, and just kind of looking for those root causes, like why, what's going on like with, with these patients and how can we um, get to the root cause and the bottom of it. And one of my mentors was doing uh, food sensitivity testing and I was really curious about that and I decided to get myself tested, followed the plan and I was, I was amazed by how great I was feeling. A lot of the headache, uh, 
aches were lifted. I had more energy. Uh, I was able to lose some weight that was stuck with me after my second child. And so, uh, I mean, definitely needed a commitment. And, and uh, But just that kind of got me introduced to the integrative and functional medicine and nutrition. And so from there, I got started. I started learning and reading, attended, um, you know, work, uh, seminars and, and conferences and uh, did then uh, a, a, a training program with one of my uh, mentors who is a dietitian and a functional uh, dietitian. And so since then, that's the kind of my brain and my thought process shifted to the integrative approach, which is connecting the dots, um, looking at the body as a whole, as opposed to different systems or different organs working separately, and uh, always looking for the root cause. How can we fix the problem from the root? Because then it has a trickle effect instead of a diet or a supplement or something that's just going to serve as a band-aid. When you talk about finding the problem at the root, does a lot of that come from gut health? And, you know, that's sort of been a huge topic of conversation over the past few years or an increasing conversation is gut health. And um, so do you find that a lot of these root causes come from that and from diet? You know, a lot of people believe that, you know, if I have a family history of diabetes or heart disease, that this is my destiny. And while genetics and genes play a role, now we know that the science of nutrigenomics and nutrigenetics is that that your diet and your lifestyle and how, what you choose to eat and how you live your life, your stress management, the toxins that are maybe around you, all of that can turn certain genes on and off. And you have uh, a say in this book that is your own health and your own body. So it's not predestined. Um, yes, there are things that we just have to be aware of and acknowledge, but that doesn't mean it, we're doomed in gloom and we're going to get certain things. And so um, that's how I choose to, to, to to believe because when we feel we lo- we don't have control like that's hopelessness but when we feel like okay i can make a difference i can live a healthy lifestyle and, and um, it's it's more empowering so diet definitely plays a role in it of course stress management in, in our environment and as well to exercise activity now when it comes to the gut it has definitely been uh, shown that the gut can impact a lot of health issues uh, we know that 80 percent of the immune system is in the gut so uh, things related to autoimmunity can be uh, connected to certain bacteria found in the gut leaky gut as well too and leaky gut is a um, it's not a fad term it has been research intestinal permeability is a real thing uh, we know research now is connecting uh, gut health to diabetes cardiovascular disease inflammation uh, we know the brain and the gut communicate there is a two-way uh, communication if you have um, anxiety depression um, uh, mood issues can affect the bacteria in your gut and your digestion and this the, the the motility of the gut we also know that having certain pathogens in the gut can make you uh, have brain fog and headaches and things like that. Um, and, and the gut is not just, we have to think of it. It's, it's an, an always changing part of our body. It's not empty. Uh, it has our, the bacteria, the microbiome, and it is made of bacteria, yeast, parasite, fungus, but mostly bacteria. And they are in a symbiotic relationship with us. And so it's not this like empty part it's active it's always working it's helping us with a lot of nutrient extraction warding off pathogenic bacteria uh, creating uh, certain uh, anti-inflammatory compounds in the gut so it is really a big part of of our bodies and 
you know, you are what you digest and absorb. And if you are not absorbing the nutrients that you are spending time and money fixing and, and buying, and then you're not nourishing your body and, and you're not benefiting from any of it. And so I do think that um, fixing the, the, the gut can have a big impact. It's, it's one of those things that we cannot tend to the branches if the root is weak and not helping the tree get nutrients from the soil and and water from the soil. So if you think of this analogy, definitely we may have to do tending to the branching as well too. We don't have to, we can't say every single thing in the body is related to the gut, but a lot of things can improve if you have healthy digestive health and, um, uh, and, and healthy gut. Going along with the tending the branches analogy, do you recommend that people first check for food sensitivities or when somebody becomes a patient of yours, is that sort of the first step or do you go straight to sort of an elimination diet? Um, how do you go about starting that process? Yeah, absolutely. So at this point, like I, the people that I tend to work with who, who find me or um, they're usually not a first time diagnosis of their condition or it's not, they didn't just ha start having bloating last week. Um, the people I work with tend to have had their issues for months, maybe even years. And um, some people have had like stomach pain for 30 years and, and now they've reached a point where they can't take it anymore. So a lot of them have already tried some sort of diets. They may have tried a gluten-free. They, they have a friend who tried that and it, it helped or removed dairy. Maybe they have heard of the low FODMAPS diet or the specific diet or any of these diets. So most of the people have already tapped into some sort of elimination. Um, and that's, that's not a bad idea. I think it's, it's um, for some people, if a simple swap can uh, eliminate the symptoms if if they remove gluten and, and that fixes 90% of their symptoms then that's great uh, however a lot of the times people do these uh, or try these diets and they either help a little bit or don't help at all and that's when we have um, uh, questions like is it possible that they're eating salmon or blueberry or parsley or even turmeric I bring those examples because these are things that definitely tested positive um, on a food sensitivity test for my patients so I, I in general like when I talk to somebody everyone usually like you know we get on a, a quick phone call I have them fill like a few questions to understand where they are in their health journey and what they've tried um, most of them have tried something and, and that gives me the conclusion that, um, well, if that, if the general stuff didn't work, then there must be something else and we need to uncover that specifically. And if they haven't, I usually tell them, why don't you try this diet for a couple of weeks, you know, a month, maybe if it doesn't work, then come back to me and let's talk about how we can custom things for you. Interesting. And you don't, you don't usually think of turmeric or blueberries or salmon as something that could be causing a sensitivity. And so it's interesting and a good idea to be testing for those things that you might, that might be healthy for other people, but just might not work for you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what food sensitivities are, they are reactions of the immune system. Immune cells stop recognizing these healthy foods as, as benign and safe, and they start uh, reacting to them uh, by a chain of inflammatory reactions, and they release compounds and mediators such as histamines and others. And so it doesn't mean if for food sensitivity, it's not an allergy where it's something you have to eliminate for the rest of your life. It is really like 
now your digestive and your immune system are not able to break down this food, the blueberries into uh, single units that are easily recognized by immune cells. And so we, the, the, the approach is that we remove these things temporarily from the diet, give the immune uh, system a, a break. It doesn't really forget, but we're just really give the body a break from these foods and then try to get to the root cause of the problem. Why is this happening? And then a lot of times I follow that with a stool test that would enable me to see if there is digestion problem, if there is a leaky gut problem. And usually after a couple of months, three, three to six months, we are able to bring back those foods. I never want anyone to live without um, a super healthy food if they don't have to, like, it's not, I'm not a proponent of long-term elimination as long as, unless it's like celiac disease and you really have to eliminate it or you have a true allergy to something. But if we can fix the root cause and repair digestion and repair the gut, then hopefully we can go back to a variety of foods, enjoy diets and enjoy, you know, eating with, with our families and our friends and, and not being so stressed out about every bite. I like the idea that you can eventually bring these foods back potentially. Yeah, um, and I think that will really resonate with people because it is scary to hear, you know, elimination diet or you can't have certain foods ever. And so this idea that you could maybe bring them back in the future, I think might remove some of the shock. Yeah, absolutely. And what are some of the biggest trigger foods that you find patients have trouble with? Are there certain food groups or foods that you you notice the most as being um, inflammatory? Yeah, we have to, you know, let me try to explain this as an, um, hopefully this won't be very complicated, but we have to think of like, let's just say someone has stomach issues, bloating, uh, burping, diarrhea, maybe they also have headaches or skin issues, eczema, um, itching, something like that. There are more than one way a food can uh, be connected to a symptom. So I look at there may be some foods that are difficult to digest, um, or they have certain types of carbohydrates, and such as sugars and carbohydrate compounds and fibers that are hard to digest and hard to absorb. And that's like the low FODMAPs diet. That's the, the theory behind that is if you don't break down these fibers, if they don't get absorbed and the sugars, they sit in the gut and feed the bacteria. So some of those foods can be honey, apples, garlic and onion, legumes in general, um, wheat, uh, cauliflower, asparagus. So like these are all healthy stuff and they have good healthy fibers. However, we, um, if there's an imbalance in the gut, then these can be a problematic. So that's like a category of foods that can be a problem. Now, there are foods that are, um, you know, inflammatory, processed oils, um, uh, synthetic foods, food colorings, uh, things like that, um, uh, preservatives in food. If we are talking from an immune perspective, each person has a different type of uh, or different panel when I get the results. And so sometimes cauliflower or carrots come back and that's you know disappointing. But again, we're going to get those foods back on the diet in a few months. But I tend to find um, soybean and corn uh, commonly come back positive for my patients. And it's possible because these foods <clears throat> are commonly used in the food manufacturing and production. And in one theory of food sensitivities, the more you eat the food, the more you're exposed to 
it, uh, it the more likely it, the body loses tolerance to it and then it starts to react to it. So that's kind of my, my theory behind why I find soybean and corn. And so in general, I do, if, if somebody... Um, you know, wants to, to give it a try, I, I would say maybe try to remove these foods from your diet. When I start somebody on a diet, I, I like to be conservative. I, I like to be a minimalist as much as possible. And so I do like to take out all gluten, whether it got tested or not, whether they have celiac or not. I know gluten can cause inflammation for a lot of people. And so we are um, safe and, and let's just... Um, Test, go without it. I also like to do without go without dairy the first couple of weeks. I take corn and soy out, and then I incorporate things between, um, related to their symptoms. So maybe a little bit of low FODMAPs and their test. And another thing, maybe like I don't know if that was on your radar, is histamine. I'm finding more and more people react to histamine, and this is a compound that naturally develops in food as it ages and as food ferments. So things like uh, sauerkraut and fermented foods, vinegar, um, people tend to have, um, you know, they drink alcohol, they have a, a strong reaction to alcohol, um, things like also spinach, tomato, eggplants. So if they have symptoms related to nasal congestion, throat clearing, post-nasal drips, um, rashes, hives, in addition to stomach issues, for me, these are signs of histamine. So there's no, again, like this sounds, it does get complicated at times, Um so um, I do have like um, some resources if you want to connect to show notes, but um, I think I think the for somebody who's starting out to remove dairy, gluten, corn, and soy, and maybe reduce the amount of legumes they're eating, follow a low FODMAPs diet for a little bit and see if that gives um, um, uh, helps them reduce their symptoms in any way. Great. I'll definitely put that in the show notes and I'll link to your website also. I love your email that you send out. Always has a lot of helpful information like this. So I will definitely link it. Yeah, thank you. What are some of your favorite foods that you recommend people add into their diets? I mean, there's lots of foods and so it's not one thing that's going to benefit. Um, I think from a, a detox perspective, the cruciferous vegetable family is really beneficial. So things like broccoli, cauliflower, um, um, even like kale. I love cabbage specific. Like personally, I love purple cabbage. I always add it to my salad. It just adds color, lots of antioxidants. Things like berries, blueberries, pomegranate, uh, strawberries are um, lots of antioxidants as well too. Um, a cup of green tea at the end of the day really kind of helps even emotionally and mentally like um, with calming down. Um, I think really a variety of, of foods are really helpful. Sauerkraut, it's, you know, it's a nice condiment to add and has benefits as well too, has healthy bacteria in it. Usually I tell people the more, there were once, once some studies found that you have more diversity in the microbiome uh, for people who ate 30 or more plant foods. And so think of, you have a lot of different types of seeds and nuts and, and you've got sunflower seeds and, and these are also like a great snack that I like to have um, in, in chia and almonds and also like think of the herbs, like things like parsley and basil. I often add parsley to my salad, helps with detox as well too. And so think color and think variety and also think seasonal like what's in season right now um, because that helps you rotate a lot of us get um, in a routine like you grab the same foods for your family over and over again um, but instead of broccoli I mean wild broccoli is great 
there are other vegetables that can be on the dinner menu uh, rotating and that helps prevent food sensitivities and brings more nutrients as well too. But I mean, beets, sweet potatoes, um, lots of options out there. I, I, I can keep talking about all my favorite foods. Those are great starters. Just the idea of adding more color, I think, is a good way to sort of think about as you create your meals and um, as you're making dinner for yourself, just adding more color in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and color is um, uh, antioxidants. So beta carotene is orange. There's anthocyanins that are purple. And so it's like one of the things I talk to my kids, like I, you know, color is the pigments in the natural pigments in food is connected to different types of antioxidants and anti-inflammatory compounds. Switching gears a little bit to probiotics, I have seen this topic in your emails often, and I just wanted to get your perspective on probiotics and supplements and sort of the importance of choosing good options for your body. And you mentioned absorption before, so I guess tying all of that in together, um, can we spend a few minutes just talking about probiotics? Mm, absolutely. I mean, that's, it's a big topic. So, so probiotics are bacteria, life cultures. And because we know that healthy beneficial bacteria um, do a lot for us and in our body. And so the, the, the thought that, okay, we take this in a supplement form, we introduce that, is this going to give us benefits? Um, I am a proponent of probiotics, um, but there are a lot of like misconceptions or things that people need to be aware of uh, and understand. So probiotics. Um, now we have different types. If we are thinking of supplements, if we think categories, we have the probiotics that contain a variety of lactobacillus and bifidobacterium, and maybe uh, one strain for maybe 14, 15 different strains. And with these is because the lactobacillus and bifidobacteria uh, inhabit on our gut. Our gut, they are beneficial, commensal. commensal. Commensal means like belonging to us and healthy. Um, so a lot of the supplements provide these bacteria in a 30 billion, 10 billion, 50 billion, even 100 billion counts. And the theory is that if we take those, that they are going to help us, the, the, uh, the species that are inside of our body. Now, this may be true. However, we, there are some challenges with the, those typical or standard probiotics is that they may not withstand the acidity in the stomach. So as we, you, know, you swallow the pill, it reaches the, the stomach it is very possible that the pH in the stomach is going to kill the bacteria and so it will not make it to the large intestine alive. However, there's also another theory that even if it reaches the intestine dead, it's still going to provide benefit to us. Sometimes the bacteria, what it does, it, it changes the pH of the gut. So it allows our own bacteria to flourish and provides a better environment for our bacteria to flourish. So the ones on the market, kind of the challenge with that is that, you know, even the refrigerated one, let's just say you have one that is kept in cool temperatures. Well, our body temperature is 97 degrees, right? And so you're trying to keep it in the fridge at a 40 degree, but what happens when it enters your body and your body is warmer? So like, is the heat of our own body is going to actually kill it? So that's one of the things is like that kind of debunks some of those uh, probiotics. Now, some people take them, they benefit from them and they see tremendous change. So I'm not saying they absolutely don't work, but a lot of times they don't work for, for many people. And, and that could be 
frustrating, but just knowing that if this part, th- these types or the things that you find in the drugstore or the supermarket in the fridge, if they, they didn't work because possibly they didn't make it to the gut or you need something else. So now there's a lot of research showing a different type of probiotics called spore-based probiotics. So they are different species made of bacillus spores, but they're, they're different because they actually survive the acidity of the stomach. So they actually make it to the gut. And uh, what they have been found is that they can improve the acidity in our own bacteria, in our own commensal uh, bacteria, um, and they can also promote the, our own bacteria to grow. So they can improve the diversity and improve the overall count of beneficial bacteria. Also spore-based, they have um, also an antimicrobial benefit. So if part of the problem is that you have too much of the uh, dysbiotic or these are the bacteria that can create inflammation in the gut, or if they overgrow, think of them as weeds in the lawn, this is a dysbiotic bacteria. And so they can kind of put those weeds in check and prevent their overgrowth. So I typically like to recommend a spore-based probiotic for my patients. I find that it can um, help with bowel movements for people with constipation. Um, it, it has like overall improves bloating, um, inflammation in the gut. And I also find um, that specifically people with uh, SIBO, when they have too much bacteria in the small intestine, if you take a lot of lactobacillus and bifidobacteria, that could make the SIBO or the overgrowth worse. So the spores actually uh, tend to be better tolerated. They don't produce histamine. So they, they, they have an advantage in, in some aspects. Great. I feel like we can spend a whole nother 30 minutes on probiotics. There's a lot there, uh, but spore-based probiotics. Thank you for, for covering that. For any listener today who wants to improve their gut health, what is one thing that they can take away and start doing today? Okay. So I'm going to have two, two types of listeners listening. Okay. I may, I know that there are some people who don't have bloating, don't have stomach issues, diarrhea, burping gas. So they're generally healthy and they want to improve their gut health for this person. If you're that person, lots of vegetables, again, different kinds of vegetables, incorporating some of the root vegetables at all. Also we know prebiotic. I mean, I, that I didn't mention with the probiotics, we do need the nutrition for the bacteria as well too. So we can't just take a probiotic and eat a diet that is very sugary and not enough fiber. So incorporating garlic and onion and asparagus, jicama, apples, bananas, um, whole grains, legumes as well too is really important. And reducing the sugars and the processed foods is going to uh, be part of it. So so that's the, the category, you know, small amount or moderate amount of protein, lean protein, healthy fats as well too. I mean, the whole package, but really for gut health, we do need those fibers and those prebiotic fibers specifically that I mentioned. Now, for someone who has digestive issues, maybe you're listening and you think, gosh, if I eat all the legumes and the broccoli and the garlic and onion, I'm going to be more bloated, stomach hurts, burping, passing gas, all these issues, diarrhea, maybe constipation. And sometimes people feel like the more fiber they eat, the more they constipated uh, they are. These are a sign that you may not be breaking these foods properly. Maybe a lack of digestion enzymes or certain bacteria uh, growing in the gut or SIBO or any of these conditions. And so before um, adding those foods in large doses, I actually do recommend that 
eating a little bit less of them, only short term, trying to get some sort of relief, and then looking at the root causes, whether it's um, you know working with your doctor or an integrative uh, nutritionist or dietitian who knows how to handle the digestive issues, looking at those root causes. And once you start fixing them one at a time, then you're going to be able to enjoy these foods and uh, benefit from them. But if you are uh, already symptomatic and in pain and you add more of these foods, it's adding fuel to the fire and it will actually make you feel a lot worse and can hurt your overall digestive system. Amazing. Thank you. And lastly, what is the best place for the audience to find you? Yeah, I am on my website, norzibdeh.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. It's also Norzibdeh. So um, you can have put the links in there. I know my name is not very easy to spell, but um, hopefully they can, people can find that. For sure. I'll, I'll put the links. Thank you so much. This is amazing. Here's my favorite takeaway from my interview with Noor. Sometimes the more you eat a certain food, your body can lose tolerance to it and react. It doesn't necessarily mean that a food sensitivity is lifelong. So depending on what the issue is, you may actually be able to add those foods back in over time after you heal your gut. So that was really nice for me to hear because I think it's easy to hesitate with some of these elimination diets because it's hard to think about removing things that you enjoy eating from your diet forever. But the idea that you can heal your gut and then potentially add them back in later is definitely a lot easier for me to understand. Um, So that really resonated with me. Thank you so much, Noor, for joining the coffee chat. If you want to learn more, I highly recommend signing up for Noor's newsletter, which I will link in the show notes. It has a ton of really helpful content about food sensitivities and probiotics, everything we covered today. Noor also does strategy consultations with anyone interested in talking to her about their own gut issues. So check out her website to learn more. I hope you liked the episode. If you liked this episode and the show, please take a second to rate and review and subscribe wherever you're listening. Thanks so much for joining.